0: I'm Jason Silvia, and this is The Creative Capital Show. A show about creative people and how those creative people turn into entrepreneurs by taking their creativity and turning it into a business and facing all the trials and tribulations along the way. Is art? Well, the dictionary defines art as the conscious use of skill and creative imagination, especially in the production of aesthetic objects. And it's the second half of that definition, the production of aesthetic objects, that this episode's guest founded a business upon. Tracy Johnson Laboy is the co founder of Luna Logia, a mom and pop business that focuses on sourcing and curating well-designed objects for the aesthetically-minded customer. In this episode, Tracy dives into how people perceive art, why art is not a luxury just reserved for the rich, how well-designed objects can improve your quality of life, why money is energy, and how great storytelling can turn the point-of-sale process and the overall retail experience into a work of art itself. Enjoy! Tracy, welcome. Hi.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: So who are you and what do you do? I am Tracy
1: johnson LeBoy and I am an artist, a musician, a web developer, and a business owner uh, based in Providence, Rhode Island. I am the proprietor of Luna Loja LLC, uh, which is my main uh, heart project right now. (laughs) And that is an e-commerce design home goods business uh, that is hosted on a uh, really fun and innovative, uh, creative website that I got to co-design with my husband.
0: So that actually goes right into my next question. You're not doing this alone, are you? Um, Seems like you're working on your husband, uh, working on this with your husband. And are there other people involved as well?
1: Uh, no, so my husband and I, uh, his name is Angel, we uh, we came out of the pandemic haze uh, with a skill set that we discovered um, that we had as a unit more so than uh, a part. He is a web developer and uh, has had experience with other e-commerce businesses, and I'm a visual artist that has an interest in uh Basically, creating like gifs and um, fun marketing and advertising campaigns. Um, I ran a nonprofit in Newport for a while, and actually, we uh, came together to create a website for that uh, for that nonprofit called Newport Art House. And when we had completed it, um, <laughs> when we were done arguing about what could or couldn't be done, and uh, we had developed this gorgeous website, we said, you know, uh, this is something that we are really uh, complementing each other around. Um, he's a shy, uh, not aesthetically minded, necessarily person. And I am a, I'm a completely technologically, not inept, but <laughs> a technological novice, um, where he is an expert. So together, we, we felt like um, we could do something really big together and something really fun and joyful, um, which is the basis of our business as well.
0: <laughs> so you balance each other out.
1: Yeah, I think that it's important with any type of business that you find a business partner that really does what you don't do well. Um, and then in that way, you can really create something that works.
0: So walk me through the story of Luna Logia. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. In the sense of, you know, you have uh, one person on one side that's more about the visual, the aesthetic You have another person on the other side, that's more about the technical aspects um, but why the name Lunalogia, what is the story behind it and just, you know, what sparked this idea of, um, hey, let, let's, let's start an e-commerce site. And I want to get into the fact that it's not your typical e-commerce site from the research I've done, but, uh, yeah, what sparked all of this? What, what was the origin story of, uh, Lunalogia?
1: Yeah. So my background is in historic preservation uh, and in material culture. So I have a huge love uh, for the different aesthetic movements throughout time, um, how we, you know, how we create our homes, how we share our individuality through furnishing and, you know, other things like art and art clothing and that sort of thing. I really uh, have a deep passion for how we communicate who we are um, through the objects around us and the things that we uh, elevate um, in our homes and in our in our environment. So uh, with that in mind, you know, I, I studied architectural history na- mainly. So you know, looking at buildings and looking at interiors, and I've been a real estate agent, uh, has always been something that I've always really loved and thinking about uh, how people live and um, how they bring joy into their environment. So I am an avid... Um, like furniture data, uh an antiquarian, you know, I love uh going to thrift shops and uh antique shops and all this stuff. And uh so we were coming out of this web development project together and my husband is an enabler uh in every way and he said, you know, you're really good at making really beautiful websites uh and you really love curating. Um I worked for a nonprofit that I founded in Newport about 11 years ago now, no, excuse me, the nonprofit was founded about five years ago, but I lived in Newport for about um, 11 years, approximately. I've been kind of back and forth. But, um, and so going back to my husband being an enabler, he said, you know, what would make you really happy? And um, I said, you know, I have always loved the thought of purchasing and reselling uh, furnishings and bringing my aesthetic uh, happiness around <laughs> how people live and how to make it great um, into, uh, you know, into a business model. And uh, with the caveat that I've always been arguing for the rights and for the visibility of Rhode Island artists, because I think uh, there's a great population of really incredibly talented people in our, in, in our state. And so the business model came out of that idea that uh, basically my husband wants me to be happy. Um, I want our customers to be happy and people around me by living beautifully. And I also really want Rhode Island artists to have access to markets and be extremely successful in what they do um, by taking some of those responsibilities that aren't as fun for makers and artists, such as marketing, um, SEOing and optimizing their uh, products that they have online. So that's pretty much the short of it. Luna Loja is, uh, is my little, I'm, you know, I get into my, I put on my, uh, you know, w- whatever you want to call it, armchair intellectual glasses and say, you know, um, the breakers, some of these properties that I really love. They have this architectural feature called the Loja, which is this arched indoor outdoor space, kind of like a balcony, but with an arched, um, well, an archway essentially and that is what a lo- loja is and um most of us have had the experience of standing out on the loja like that and looking at the moon and it's a vibe it's a mood uh and i thought you know that has a nice ring to it so um that's what we named it luna Loja.
0: so going from that what was the moment of okay you got this idea and you know however long it took to to build it to you know go from idea to actual you know business that's going to generate money and profit what was that journey like did it start out with the business plan did you set goals or was it just make the website was it source the um the uh the products to that you would eventually sell first which i have more questions about that uh can you go into that journey just the logistics of like okay we have this idea that's great people have great ideas every day it's a totally different thing to actually execute on and go through that process.
1: Yes. Um, well, yeah, so it's funny because it is kind of a chicken or the egg idea. Um, as I mentioned, you know, my business partner, he has, he has managed multiple web stores in the past and they were mostly focused on electronics. They don't have to have any aesthetic qualities nor really, you know, they have to be curated, but more from a utilitarian standpoint. And I actually didn't really know where we wanted to try and take this until I started researching what type of inventory um, would be available for someone like me to curate. I (laughs) was very keen to have uh, an offering that's unique um, that focuses on artistically created objects and also that gives me some access to high design uh, and I wasn't sure that our, our e-commerce store would have access to those types of vendors off the bat. And honestly, I wasn't necessarily 100% sure how to, have, how to create contact with, with, those, uh, with those types of vendors. So um, I was encouraged to do some research and to curate a hypothetical collection for Lunaloja that, uh, that would really bring those qualities to life that I, I feel like if I'm going to own a store, it's going to be the coolest Uh, store ever because of like I love I love to shop for interior design objects and I have I'm picky so I was like I'm not gonna run a knickknack store (laughs) so what I what I did was create a a hypothetical collection of some of the uh, some of the more prominent pieces that we that we kind of focused the aesthetic of the site around I'm very very inspired by the ultra frugola mirror uh, by um, um, excuse me let me see here I always forget uh, by a tour success, so um, the ultrafogola mirror is this like wavy, tall mirror that is um, just iconic, and it's had a it's had its it's had a day on Instagram lately just because it it, it illuminates and it creates a really nice frame and it's pretty postmodern, um, and so yeah, I saw that mirror and I said okay, well if I am able to be a vendor of this high Italian design object, then I think I can do this and located some other kind of iconic pieces that you would recognize if you're interested in material culture uh, and curated that and then really came to a place of like okay you know I can create a store around this Um, and also keep it in in line and on brand with supporting artists and designers because a lot of our inventory uh, has been created by or is influenced by uh, artists and designers that throughout history so i i wanted to be able to reference that this piece is reminiscent of or a replica of uh for example you know um uh, vernon panton lamp uh and then also be able to say you know that uh this person is no longer alive but this is who made it and it's and it's a beautiful design and it was completely innovative and you would love to have it uh, and look at it every day uh, and so in order for me to be able to do that and feel good about it, I wanted to also build this um, fail safe on the other side where we are uh, allocating and dedicating a part of our of our profit to the success of Rhode Island artists through direct grants uh, and also in the future, hoping for a, uh, you know, live work type of real estate situation in Rhode Island that facilitates uh, those artists creating wealth and abundance for themselves through
0: their art. Uh, how much is that portion or is that, is that like a set percentage or is it a set percentage like after profits or something like that?
1: Um, so right now we're focusing on a pretty humble uh, grant of 6000 a year uh, because this is our first year. We have just literally opened the doors um, about a month ago of our store.
0: I was going to say, I think I saw the LLC was March. I was like, oh, wow. Like you you're you're really new
1: yeah (laughs) we aim high you know we're so this is the other part of this is that both both of us both of the business owners here we're also artists and we're also independent contractors and you know have been have been in the hustle for for years um and i've been doing it in rhode island and so you know i think it's really important to to have a serious plan we have our business plan we uh we've consulted with the with the sba we've had a lot of support from the Design XRI community, uh, and also uh, other other entities. So you know we have appreciated the support and help that we've received from established business organizations and organizations that support entrepreneurs. But in essence, you know the reason that our website looks the way it does, and the reason that our that we incorporate and made it a part of. Our business model to support artists is because we're artists, um, and we've incorporated really recently. But it's not even it's not even worth doing if we can't pay back the community. Uh, and so that's how we're really making the feasibility uh, assessment: is if it doesn't work out with a grant to artists, then we're just uh, retailers, which is t- would be fine to most folks. But uh, since we're artists, and we really do appreciate the community. This is part of what we want to be able to do. Uh, and so, yeah, we only incorporated in March, um, but we have, you know, we we were able to get some support to create this, this um, website that is really our main piece of infrastructure. It's our salesperson. It's our uh, return person. It's our, uh, you know, it's our... <laughs> It's our storefront, it's what you're entering into, it's, your, it's the experience of our brand, and it's the experience of the value that you get when you're purchasing from, uh, from a retailer that cares, basically. And so, yeah, so, so, we, so we've actually received the question of like how much profit would you uh, allocate to the artists that you're advertising on your site as part of your um, collaboration with Rhode Island Makers and, and, and others. And we've said, you know, this is, this is not part of our profit model at all to have and highlight um, the, the creations of artists, living artists. Uh, that's just something that we're doing because that's what we need to feel authentically happy about it. <laughs> if that makes sense.
0: No, it definitely does. Um, and I want to get to the getting help part in a little bit. But one question I always find interesting, no matter who I talk to, so you're going on this journey, right? You're creating this business that's new. So it's like a two-part question. One, is the business the main source of income for you and your partner? Or are you still doing other things? Because um, every business is different. And then two, what was the moment, because um, I think this moment's different for everybody, where you realized, oh, this is real now like this is a business this is this is this is the on switch has happened uh, cuz I think that's a different moment for everybody but I'm always interested to in hear like when that person realized oh this thing is real now it's not just an idea anymore it's a real business like it's a business out in the world um <laughs>
1: yeah those are both great questions um well you know I'm going to start with the with the second one because I feel like that is that is giving birth to a project is for any artist when you really like manifest you know you're manifesting the future of your business or the future of your practice um, and so for us it's been it's been real since we really since we launched the website in late um, May uh, and we started getting traffic so this was before we um, we, ha- we still haven't like embarked on our main marketing campaign for this for the site, uh, but we focused really deeply on the technological aspects of what's necessary for an e-commerce store, uh, which really does involve like communicating with computers um, because the computers are bringing, you know, basically as my husband would say, the computer is bringing the customer to your site. And if, the, if it doesn't understand what you're doing, then no one will if you're an e-commerce store, <laughs> So uh, when we started getting traffic and we realized that, you know, we're getting visitors from Germany, from New Zealand, from Australia, from from uh, England, from California, uh, you know, these are things that we can see. And, and we hadn't created a marketing, we hadn't finished our marketing campaign before these folks started uh, poking around at our website. That's when... At least for me, I was like, "Oh, we're doing something here." <laughs> um, also, obviously, we can see what people are searching for uh, and what leads them to our site. so it's really interesting to to find that it is folks that are as specific as I am about about what they want. Um, people who are putting in uh, designer names and and then, and like the names of the people like Eames and Panton and uh so uh, but it's also folks who are very specific about what they're looking for. Um, so it's really interesting to be in this, like I've worked in retail before, you know, I can, I can talk to people, uh, but the fact is that my descriptions of the products and, and the way that I feel about how I'm, how, the way that I feel about what we're selling is coming through strong enough that it's bringing people to our site um, before we have put out any ads. And that is actually a really difficult thing to achieve uh, and, and so that's when it really clicked for me that okay, we're doing the right thing. I have a skill set of writing, Angel has another skill set of making that writing translate and people want what, we ha- what we're selling and that's really fun for us. And people are as interested in design and, and quality and paying back to the community as we are. Um, so as it relates to our, it being, if it's our first job or our main primary uh, source of income, it is currently, uh, but we also always have artistic projects on the side. Um, so we're we're contracting with sound design projects. Uh, we we are uh, we're doing visual projects, and we're also always going to be artists, no matter how you slice it. So one of one and they both go together. One kind of facilitates the other, and vice versa. <laughs> So yeah, that's the answer. Really, we gained some support and help from, like I said, some of the Rhode Island-based business help uh, organizations.
0: Actually, I think that leads right to my next question. And um, I've said it before, and I said it. I'll say it again on episodes. Uh, We did not plan this beforehand, as far as how well this was going to flow. So this this is just luck has been on my side on a lot of episodes. (laughs) Hopefully, it doesn't run out. So speaking about that help, uh, I noticed there was a design RI grant that uh, looked like uh, you received, um, which is great. That's great for you. Congrats on that. Uh, So going along with the help, you know, I think sometimes people are like, hey, I want to do this idea, but where the heck am I going to get the help? Where the heck am I going to get the funding? How crucial was the Design RI grant in terms of help and funding and all these other? Um, You're talking about like the SBA, so I'm, I'm assuming that means Small Business Association. Uh, if not, feel free to correct me. Um, how crucial was that help? Because I feel like not everyone has a great amount of funding in the beginning, and not everyone has all the tools, or maybe they think they don't have the tools and it discourages them from doing something. And between you and your partner, you have the balance of the art and the technical. But I'm assuming there was stuff you didn't know uh, as well that you had to learn. So how crucial was, um, you know, how did you realize what you needed help with? And then how did you find and reach out for these resources? uh, And how crucial were were those resources in helping you? Because I think that's something that not everybody feels like they can do or they don't they feel like they don't have enough um, knowledge to actually go about that process.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really important question, especially um, if you have listeners out there who are entrepreneurs or who have entrepreneurial spirits, um, because I do feel uh, that as a self-starter, you you start because you you start to think that perhaps it isn't a skill set in its own right to be a self-starter, which it absolutely is. Um, to have your own ideas, to be able to visualize them, to be able to uh, brainstorm with people and bring them in, and uh, and explain yourself clearly, and 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 ask for help and receive the answers from people. These are all skill sets that are really crucial to entrepreneurs that I feel like we all inherently have when we identify as entrepreneurial, but that we maybe because we're exposed to ourselves so regularly, like all the time, uh, we start to think like maybe everyone is like this. <laughs> um, so. One of the best parts about the Design XRI pro- program, um, the Catalyst program is what, what it's called. They've had cohorts of, I mean, most recognizable businesses that you, you see around yourself in, in Rhode Island have gone through this program. And it is a grant. Um, and it does fund some um, basically business-specific costs. Uh, but it, it mainly is a, an educational program where you are, you are uh, ushered through multiple required business processes uh, including you know just what you need on you know so some of the more preliminary things would be like what is a website what do you need on a website and then uh, all the way up to creating marketing plans to creating business plans
0: and i'm guessing creating an llc because i've i've noticed that not everybody even knows what that is or like how that's beneficial versus you know being sole proprietorship
1: Absolutely. And that's that actually what they do is really great. Um, because their their cohorts include a lot of artists and people who are folks who are sole proprietors, they don't require that you become an LLC. But they do educate the cohort on the benefits and obviously the differences of the different business models. Um, so some folks do um, decide to remain sole proprietors, and they don't discourage that. Um, we felt that we absolutely needed to be an LLC before we went into the Design XRI program. Um, so we had already decided that this was a business we were gonna embark on, and we had, uh, we had started on building up the website ourselves. Uh, gaining this grant really allowed us some time to do it really thoroughly. And so it's been a magical, uh, experience especially for me like angel has had some experience as i mentioned before i am an extrovert i love mentorship uh and we had the absolute joy of of having uh katrina wood uh be our mentor who is uh an incredible like business encourager who who runs the Ten Thousand uh businesses program out of uh out of ccri i believe uh and so you know so it not only was it like a uh, like a class that we had to sit in on every week with uh, with experts and professionals from all different walks of, of the business community. But we also were connected with uh, with mentors who really kept an eye on, on our processes and our own successes uh, within the program. So uh, just a really wonderful opportunity to dig deep and work on the business and not at the business uh, to start.
0: And... I didn't want to interrupt your train of thought, but anybody who's listening, if you're like, what the heck is a sole proprietorship versus an LLC, uh, the quick version, because we could do a whole separate podcast on that. um, Sole proprietorship is you and the business uh, in the eyes of legal and of the uh, tax collector are the same. Limited liability company means your business is a separate, it's considered a separate entity from you in terms of taxes. That's the really short version but anybody who's listening to this, go look that up if you have an entrepreneurial spirit, because knowing the difference between the two and which one you want is definitely crucial. Yes, I can um, agree with two um, more. <laughs> so going you know, from funding and getting the help, uh, there's a saying I noticed on your site called money is energy. Mm-hmm. You, you, you want to expound on that a little bit? Because I think that's a really interesting uh, saying, and I agree with it. Um just how did you come to that conclusion and why did you feel it was important to put that on the site
1: well, I want to encourage everyone who is a, a customer or a consumer of any type of goods, first of all, to really consider themselves as, as powerful, because we all are, um, whether or not you have money or not. <laughs> but uh, money is the way that we translate our time and energy into a, a, an interchangeable product, uh, which is this paper that we've endowed with our energy, basically, that's how I view it. Uh, it's on our website because i do feel that when you purchase um, an object from a business you're supporting not only obviously the business and their vendors but you're supporting their values Um, and i think as we kind of grow in our own consciousness about what businesses are um, who they're run by the power that they have in the world and the power they have to influence lots of variables that we care about such as environmental factors um you know fair trade uh fair treatment uh that consumers and customers really should should be aware of their power to support causes that they care about even if they're just buying a lamp Um, that's why that's on there um, because i do feel like You know, home furnishings, beautifying your immediate environment may at times feel like a frivolous pursuit. It's something that we're all going to do regardless. Uh, And so recognizing that this is a need I have, uh, I really do want to come home to a place that feels comforting and beautiful and exciting and creative. Uh, And in order to create that for myself, I have to support a business because I'm not going to make everything myself. (laughs) And in that process, Every every customer has a choice. Every 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 purchaser uh, can go to Walmart or Kmart or or they can go into the wood shop of a furniture maker. Uh, and so, their money is energy, uh, and, and the energy that they transfer is towards a cost. Um, so that's what I meant when I said that on there. Uh, and also, I do feel like on an individual level. You know, we all create value in our lives and uh, in the lives of people around us. And so um, recognizing that, you know, the compensation that we get for our times, for our time spent on work or sharing our gifts or sharing our art, uh, it it could be consciously directed towards like towards businesses and people and and entities that that do things that you care about. (laughs) So if you care about supporting artists uh, and you need a lamp, uh, Luna Loja would be a great option for you. Uh, if you care about having, uh, you know, a beautiful uh, living room with everything you need in it, uh, and that isn't a priority of yours, and you're not going to have a problem finding a business that uh, does not prioritize artists. Um, so that's where I, uh, where I like to kind of like put all of my energy to as an artist. And as I've mentioned, you know, as a curator, I really do want to feel like my energy is spent in a in a positive way, uh, and I do feel like Luna uh paying back to the community and having big plans for what we can create uh, does that in a way that keeps me joyful and that's uh, that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now
0: <laughs> so speaking of that i'm gonna I'm jumping all over my question is just going on with the flow of the conversation, but um, this leads me to this question so I've noticed and maybe because I have an outsider view of it, but I've noticed like art and business don't always go together. Sometimes they're at odds. Um, I've seen artists sell works for you know hundreds of thousands of dollars that is literally commentary on how like you know their commentary on capitalism or money and yet it sells for like this insane amount of money. Which that in itself is a little bit of a paradox for me, at least. It um, breaks my brain a little bit. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is because you know and I've even seen um, met some artists that are, you know, not I don't want to say anti-business, but they're just like anti the idea of business. And I wonder if it comes from an education perspective because there's been previous episodes, and for those of you that have listened to previous episode, I won't go into the to the long story of it. I'll try to keep it short. But in terms of the question. I had a friend who went to RISD, and maybe this has changed, but at the time, RISD, which is one of the, you know, best art schools, art institutions in the entire world, were not teaching anything about the business of art, or art and business, or, like, you know, just like there's music and the music industry, there's art and the art industry, and there's probably different industries, you know, in in that overall term. Um, So... Why do you think that lack of education exists? It's not like the information's not out there, but the access to it, maybe how it's publicized, maybe, you know, especially at a RISD, I was shocked that that wasn't happening, that there weren't, you know, a good amount of classes on that. It's like, hey, we're going to teach you theory and how to create, but as far as the tools of, hey, you made this thing, now how do you actually put it out into the world and how do you, and how do you live off that? It seems like that half of the equation either doesn't get talked about or for whatever reason it gets hidden why do why do you think that is
1: so, yeah i mean you know i i think i have like two answers for that and and i and i honestly i love thinking about this problem because um when i ran Newport house in newport this was another part of my work it's
0: like how do you inc- i'm glad you see it as a problem not to interrupt but like because it is a problem and i and i feel like sometimes i talk to creative people and they're like oh that's not a problem i don't care about money and i'm like great that's you know if, if you don't care about money that's wonderful but, but yes don't the supplies to make your art like those cost money right like it's not free so you got to figure something out
1: absolutely well you know it's a, it kind of goes back to your uh, money energy uh, question because this is what I think so I think we've we've um, we've always hammered into like basically Western culture that craft and art. It, there are two different things. One of them is a utilitarian, you, you create a utilitarian product that is for sale and the other one is an emotional output that, uh, that it would be dirty to sell somehow. Uh, and I think that's completely faulty, first of all. We just know that it is. Um, and so most artists, if they have an instinct to create something from their emotional energy, uh, it comes with constant input from other people that, uh, you know, either A, it's easy for you to do this. It's an emotional product. Um, So you're either, you know, somehow you're not studying it, or you're not learning, you're not spending all your time perfecting this, which is obviously wrong, because most artists are spending so much time perfecting their craft and practice. Somehow, because it's passion based, I think our society makes it, uh, you know, somehow perverse to, to sell the products of your passion. I think that's that's a product of capitalism. And I can totally go into, you know, how I feel about uh, that damage. <laughs> but I do think that a lot of folks who are capable of creating, uh, manifesting, visualizing, and creating things um, just by themselves, it it is a gift, right, in a way, but it's also a skill. Uh, and most people don't you know even if you happen to have the the gift of being able to do so without studying uh, you need to learn parts of your craft and equally in order to continue your craft your craft you need to learn uh, you need to learn the skills that are uh, associated with business because if you are creating something and you're trying to live off of it then you're trying to exchange it for goods that you can live off of you are a business person because That is what business is. It's just exchanging energy. (laughs) And so um, I've always been an advocate for artists like, you know, taking business classes or learning a little bit about just how 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 to get their work to market. And I I think you're completely right that there is there is uh, an ingrained, repeatedly like bashed into artists impression that they shouldn't feel good about selling their work. Uh, but of course they should because if they're not selling their work, um, they're gonna be selling their bodies in some other way, if that makes sense, by working for someone else. <laughs> uh, and so I've always, you know, basically I'm I'm a little bit of a businessy person, and I think what artists could could really gain from is like looking at specific models. I actually gained a lot from just hearing about like the. The types of businesses that exist so a business to customer business and a business to business business
0: oh yeah b2b versus b2c so glad you mentioned that so there you go folks you're learning terms today b2b versus b2c
1: yeah and those those terms you know i was an artist i mean i've been an artist forever like i i was you know selling music selling uh you know visual visual goods you know selling sound design uh selling jewelry like i've done all of the things and i had never heard those terms until i took the design xri class uh, Angel would roll his eyes because he he actually has more experience in business But this is something that I think why why didn't anyone tell me that you know That this is an important part to think about am well, I no, selling not, directly a client or not? Yeah,
0: but um, but um Why do you think that's happening on even on the institutional level like even like the higher institutions? Like I was shocked when I found that out about RISD I don't know if it's changed But at least the time I found that out I was like really one of the best art schools in the world and they're not even offering anything Like, do you think that's a cultural thing? Do you think that there's some other intent behind that? Because that's where I got really surprised. Like, I could see maybe like the art program at a community college or something. Maybe they don't have the resources or whatnot. But like, RISD not having the resources would be an insane reason to me.
1: I think there is this, I think there is a revolution in the workforce period right now where many, many different types of business people are realizing that we've had unnecessary middlemen or the last, um, the last century. Uh, the last century with the Industrial Re- Revolution and everything, as a historian, I can tell you that we just created a bunch of middlemen, and that's fine. Like, that served the middle class and all that stuff pretty okay, right? But right now, you don't, you know, so basically, if you're in art school, you're, you're being told you should get an agent. That agent is the person that's educated on business, uh, about business and about the art business. Uh, and that's fine, uh, but just like any other legal relationship you have you need to be aware of of the fundamentals uh, before you hire someone who's going to take care of the most important part of your business other than creating art Yeah, it's the point of sale exactly and so when you're hiring a middleman to do that for you fair enough you should probably have an idea of what it involves and i think that is what art schools are kind of like somehow they fetishize like the fact that people are amazing at creating things and they say just focus on this uh, and you can get an agent to do the other part I think that that's a great place to be once you know business and you don't want to deal with it anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think it's changing that artists really do need to understand how to get to market directly and also how to identify businesses that can help them who are customer facing um, so that they, if they don't want to be customer facing, they themselves can you know, focus on their craft, but they need to have an awareness of it like that term to even identify how they're going to work out their sales model. Well,
0: it seems like that's where Lunalogia could come in and that actually leads to my next question um, as far as uh, what your business does and what it provides because the idea of the agent, right, doesn't mean every agent's good or has the hardest, best intention in mind. Um, you know, there's, um, there's good and bad with every industry. So I feel like Lunalogia is doing multiple things. I think one of them is acting as that agent and going along with that idea... So, you source and curate, you know, works, products from all over the world. Um, So, it's going to be a multi-part question. What goes into the decision-making process of, like, yeah, this piece, this work by this artist, this is something we should feature versus maybe another piece of work from another artist that you don't feature? So, what is the criteria? Um, You know, what do you base it on? And then... um, Actually, it's gonna be a three-part question now. Just now that I'm thinking about it. So, what do you base that on? Like, like what? Where, how does the curation process work? Um, and then also, you know, how do you reach out to these artists? You know, is is it just uh, like when I reached out to you for the podcast? Is it just like a like a cold call almost? Because I think some people forget that in business you have to do sales and you got to reach out to people and you're gonna have to, you know, get your product somehow. And then how much of it is product directly from the artists versus almost like a, like an, uh, the arbitrage of a flip, meaning like something that you have found, um, versus like something that's directly made for the site. So I guess it's three parts. Uh, you know, what's the curation pro- process? How do you decide what products and which pieces of art make it to the site? How do you reach out to artists and work with them? And then, uh, finally, how much of it is like made specifically for the site versus like stuff you have found it's an arbitrage?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in terms of the decision making and the criteria for our curation, uh, right now I am fully, it's fully based on uh, on what I like. <laughs> um, and so essentially, the, the decision making criteria for artist based work is that we have uh, an agreement with the artist about, you know, the number of inventory that they're able to provide and Uh, the duration that they're willing to let us um, have it up for them. Uh, Our payback to artists is that we are capable uh, and expert at SEOing and uh, personalization as it comes to marketing their products. And so our real, I mean, it's a a relationship. It's a symbiotic relationship with an agreement that uh, essentially, can we have your beautiful vase up for two months um, that we'll advertise heavily? And then after that, uh, you know, hopefully it drives business to your site and it, you know, creates a market for you. Um, And it, it elevates our collection of, of other goods um, in in terms of it, like basically a a Rhode Island based glassblowers work, for example, will always make the rest of our site look good. (laughs) And uh, obviously collaborating with real people who are creating uh, for like out of their hearts um, and supporting those folks. It's just, it's a great value that we are providing and that, that a customer who's buying from Luna Loja is supporting. Um, so our criteria right now, are, it's pretty open. Uh, if I like what you do, um, if you seem like a good person and you're able to uh, be, uh, honestly, be a business person enough to, to have an, an exclusive merchant agreement for about a month and a half, then you're set, right? Uh, and this is really fun for us because our network at Design XRI includes a lot of folks that we would like to feature. Um, so when we talk about how to reach out to artists and networks, like I like I said, I've been active in the art world in Rhode Island, at least for the last 10 years. Uh, and I have, uh, have been very keenly uh, creating networks and friendships with a lot of producers there. Um, and so if I am interested in meeting uh, a new artist that I have located, I'm very <laughs> very easily, uh, I'm very easy to like, I, I'm not shy. So I will just reach out and be like, hey, we have the site, are you are you looking to expand on your market? And I also always like to ask how we can serve the creator, right? The artists, um, the person that's making the goods, because there are always, every maker has a different need. So if they say, well, you know, my my high-end products are selling pretty good, but um, my, you know, my middle, my middle tier product. This in particular, uh, I have an overflow of inventory. So maybe you guys would be interested in, in featuring it. Um, so we always like to ask, like, how can we make your work shine and how can we make your process easier as you, as you try to reach market? Uh, and then in terms of the, like, there's no set percentage of, um, how much of it on our website is directly coming from like Rhode Island based artists. Uh, you know, we are a, we're an e-commerce store, so we're sourcing internationally, not just from, like, workshops um, of designers and artists, but also from, like, bigger producers that are established, uh, you know, vendors that serve other big furniture stores. So we're we're kind of dipping into multiple rivers to create, like, the perfect mixture um, that allows folks to shop in a way that feels like you know in a way that serves their interest in in serving arts communities their need to have a beautiful environment and also basically you know their need for somewhere to sit (laughs) or their need for a light in the corner um so that's that's kind of how we're working it out and we're very flexible i think one of our strengths is that we're a young company both of us are young folks we're millennials we understand that millennials uh, shop differently they hang out on the internet differently than previous generations and gen z is even more so so we're looking at other models like um, incorporating subscriptions and possibly rentals um, because a lot of folks are doing subscription like couches and um, furnishings that you can have in your home for like you know 60 bucks a month um, that you might not be able to afford to buy straight out. So, yeah, that's kind of like we, we're, we're uh, very creatively looking at our model and and being flexible and making sure that our artist community is being served, that it's a profitable business, and that we're feeling authentically happy and authentically fair about what we're doing, uh, and that our customers are think that we're providing them with a great service.
0: Self-starting as a skill set. I'm glad Tracy was able to verbalize this because self-starting truly is a skill set and a crucial skill set for anyone with an entrepreneurial spirit. Everyone has ideas, but not everyone can visualize and create a plan for their ideas, explain their ideas to others, and know how and when to reach out for help. They say with any journey, the first step is the hardest. So develop a skill set of being a self-starter as much as you possibly can so you can take that first step to make your ideas come to life. So you mentioned before that your site was getting this traffic without separate marketing, which is amazing. Um, And to me... Uh, I think it's off the strength of your site. It's off the strength of, you know, the storytelling that you do with the site and the brand. With that being said, and I've noticed that the storytelling goes from like how you describe collection of products to each product, to each category. It's like there's many stories. Um, Was that a conscious like business decision or is that just naturally how you and your partner are and like, it just comes out through the business.
1: Um, I, that's, thank you so much for pointing that out, that you noticed the storytelling. So it is a combination. So basically, I, as you can probably tell, I can just muse on about things that I love and, and, and what I'm observing. Uh, and I, as I mentioned, I'm extremely passionate, It makes me extremely happy to think about individual pieces of furniture. <laughs> individual artists individual aesthetic movements um and just like how we as human beings who lived in caves uh even when we lived in caves made sure that we thought they were freaking awesome inside you know what i mean so like what is that that's the the psychology of like i want to have a great life uh and i can take any of this put it around me and feel better about it or uh, create experiences for myself um, in my home, I, it's just mind blowing to me that we even do that. First of all, you know, we don't just collect sticks and make a little a little nest and live there. We like decorate the nest. Um, so storytelling is, is something that comes naturally to me around this particular topic, because I just think about it so much. Um, now, as we were looking at like um, a business model, we realized that like I spend an enormous amount of time on Pinterest, on uh, architectural design websites, on like you know, on on forums, on magazine sites that focus on interior design, psychology, uh, uh, you know, building design, just design in general. And that when I am interested in purchasing something, I, I don't I don't do what the boomers do and just go in and out, like click on the thing, buy it, and, and leave as soon as possible. I spent months looking at designs. I spent, I spent weeks picking a, you know, a velvet color of, of a couch or whatever and really researching what I want. And that process isn't tedious to me. It's fun for me. And so we were thinking, you know, how many stores out there that are just web-based or even, even brick-and-mortar stores that have a web presence, how many of them really have folks that work there in leadership who say, you know what, this is actually spending time on a website and learning about a product is actually fun for some people. (laughs) And so basically we're trying to, we we built the business model around that because in essence, I love websites that do little frilly things and that keep me entertained. I love looking at beautiful images of other people's homes uh, that inspire me to to change up my living room or whatever. Uh, And, knowing that that's something that i do i figure you know i'm probably not alone there are probably other folks who are like okay you know i amazon is great if i want something tomorrow but it's not i'm not going to hang out on amazon and browse around because it's fun Uh, and so the website is an experience and we wanted to to make sure that we create little mini experiences throughout the website that lets our customers know that hey you know what even if you don't buy something just hang out enjoy The world is beautiful. There are beautiful objects around you. You can buy stuff here if you like, or you can just read about it, or you can read about this awesome 3D artist that created a rendering with this particular piece of furniture, but it's in space. You know, like, why not? And uh, we just thought that, you know, businesses aren't really embracing the millennial mindset of, like, I spend time on the internet because it's fun. It's not a chore. It's not just because it's convenient. It's because I'm aesthetically interacting with a world. Uh, and so, when we built the website, I'm constantly challenging my husband for more and more tools to create experiences throughout it um, that I think in its own right is a piece of, of it's, it's my artistic practice in a way to be like, okay, I'm going to have this bird fly across the screen here just because like, why not? Uh, every business that has a website can do this. It's super expensive to hire a web designer who, who will have a, a bird fly across your screen. Uh, but since we're both artists and we have the skill set, and since my this business is based on me working, my husband working, uh, artists benefiting, and everyone being joyful, why not add little things around the site that can create delight? You know, so storytelling and delight—you you, you nailed it.
0: So, with that being said, right? Um, you were saying it does take a lot of money to get like the bird flying across the screen, but at the same time. I don't think it costs a lot of money anymore to tell a story and put that on your website. Like, there's so many platforms where you could do it for free or do it for next to nothing. Or, um, you know, it's just what is the story you want to tell for your business? And I've heard so many entrepreneurs, including uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, saying that every business is going to have to be its own media company or figure that out. Because if not, somebody else is going to tell your story for you and it's not going to end well. You're not going to survive.
1: Yeah, I agree, um, but also if I may interrupt you, oh, sure. an oh, sure. interesting aspect of being an e-commerce business is that you you so obviously the storytelling and the branding is extremely important, but you need to know how to storytell in a way that the computer understands. And that's another yeah, skill yeah. set that that you will pay for, and that's SEOing essentially. Uh and and also SEOing in a way that isn't boring is really hard.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's it's like, it's one thing to have like the most beautiful site in the world. It's another thing for everybody to know you have the most beautiful site in the world. Um, so yeah, no, that's, I definitely agree on that. The reason why I was talking about the storytelling and how, you know, we have platforms where it's not as expensive as it used to be and those barriers uh, have gone down and why I mentioned Gary V. Uh, and I'll mention another website that I think does a good job of it. Uh, Mr. Porter for the menswear enthusiasts or Netta Porter. Um, if you're not a menswear enthusiast, I think they do a good job at, yeah, it's a site for clothes, but there's a lot of editorial content and I'm on that site every day just reading that stuff because I find it interesting and then I'll make a purchase later on. Uh, do you think that's going to be the future for not just the aesthetic-based or design-based businesses, but every business? Do you think that's going to be the future that they're going to have to interweave editorial and story-based content with the actual like um, you know product-based content?
1: Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, we're so... Weird are you know we're coming into a, a time when you know engagement when it comes to anything engagement is like number one so if you are interacting with a storefront you walk into a store and it's not engaging it's not laid out a way that you like um you know the store attendant is rude to you or whatever uh you're you get the vibe that you need to get out of there as soon as possible because whatever they're flipping a table or you know if you're in a restaurant. Like these, these types of micro engagements are so important. And I don't think even if, if you went to business school, no one's really talking about it in that, in that way yet. Editorials, social media integration, um, aesthetic surprises, obviously like streamlined customer service and ease of use. These are all aspects of, of business that like, I mean, they're, they're priceless, you know? I mean, and, and also I think like the culture of shopping online is, is, is so new that folks are trying to work out how you even create a client. So if you have editorial content, if you're just sharing, generosity is so important in in this arena. Uh, Editorials and social media is supposed to be just like sharing as you're a human being, you're running a business, or you're a brand, uh, and you're prioritizing certain types of content, you're elevating people and specific achievements and others and and you're contributing to a culture uh, by by existing right and so if you don't have editorials if you don't have ways for your customer to understand what you're about uh, and to get to know you as a business that I think you're shooting yourself in the foot at least in the 21st century you know um, so yeah absolutely in the future and also just not have it be you know the like Uh, craigslist you know it's not just stuff for sale um we can go anywhere for stuff for sale (laughs)
0: yeah yeah (laughs) you know how do you how do you you think art affects quality of life because i think that that's a big component of what you do is is how much art affects your living space and how your living space affects your quality of life but i don't think everybody necessarily thinks about that and it doesn't necessarily mean have to mean art within your living space like it could be public art but um how do you think art affects quality of life
1: Well, I'm going to say here in closing, because I mean, the biggest, this is my existential question is how to share how I feel about how art affects quality of life, because I am just constantly in appreciation of artistic creations around me. So I have, I, my impression is that without art and aesthetic communication and emotional, um, like emotional output, we would I think we would all whittle up and die, like not to be super dramatic. But I think the contributions of of people who are in tune with how color affects people, how how movement uh, creates a change in mood, how textures like evoke different types of thought patterns, like these these people are contributing to human society and always have. Uh, and and for those who aren't endowed with that type of sensitivity, I I just I just I'm always surprised at societies that don't award and reward artists, uh, because I think those societies just don't recognize how important it is <laughs> to have beautiful things that have been thought of and and have energy in them, uh, by just by virtue of them being created by people who are who are sensitively and obsessively thinking about how all these things affect us as human beings. It's kind of like, you know, you, you think about like uh, the difference between being like colorblind and not colorblind, like there are pros and cons to both. You probably have other senses that kick in when you're colorblind, but it's like, none of us have the time to be experts at uh, color theory and psychology and also music. You know what I mean? Um, some folks maybe do, but most of us don't. Uh, most of us don't have the uh, capacity to like design a couch uh, that is just like revolutionary, you know? I know I don't. Uh, and so I think art affects quality of life because it really does I- infuse everybody's environment with, with intention because someone has put intention into the design of this. Uh, and if you don't have the time to put intention into the design of your cup or whatever, Uh, then you could buy it from someone who has. And I think that's so cool. (laughs) I think it's beautiful and it makes you happy.
0: So go along with that. um, I noticed a saying on your site, it was uh, something about buying less stuff, right? Uh, And, you know, buying either quality or buying from local or buying both like quality and local. I feel like the extreme of that though, sometimes there are people out there who are like minimalist or... They just buy the things they need, and they don't care about aesthetic at all. Or it seems like they don't care about aesthetic at all. I'll use a recent headline, depending on when you listen to this. Uh, whoever's listening, this may not be a recent headline. But there was a headline about how, um, just because it was high profile, uh, Elon Musk. He, um, he he, has a house, but he, he uses it just to like host parties for fundraising. The house he actually lives in was this company that builds like fabricated houses and they just dump it wherever you need it and he put it next to the the uh, SpaceX site in Texas. It was like a $50,000 house and it just has everything you need. So it doesn't seem like he, you know, maybe with his cars he does, but it didn't seem like in his living space because, you know, that he was like all about aesthetics. He's more about just function and that's it. Uh, is there a way you can reach those people uh, via Lunaloge or something else? Or is it just, hey, that's not our market or... Maybe there's other things they care about aesthetically that 's not within their home. I just think that there's like, there's like the interesting flip side of that too
1: it is it's so cool to think about look I totally respect people who are who are uh, purist and utilitarian about their environments like I used to work on boats i 've been around people who who literally um, decide to like have every 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 inch in their environment have a function. I totally respect that. Um, I'm going to admit that the Luna Loja customer probably isn't that person uh, because what we're saying in our product is that there's more to life than utility. Uh, There's emotion, there's, there's beauty, there, there's, there's ambiance. you know, there's energy. There are these things that don't have tangible utility that you know, and you're aware of. Uh, And if you enjoy being in that space of, of, basically basking in in these almost not mystical but these things that we don't have names for we don't we don't really necessarily have a utility for tangibly right now (laughs) Uh, then you're going to find products that kind of evoke those feelings for you at luna loja minimalism is something that we do talk about because i do think that some things Um, are easier to understand in isolation. So obviously modernism has placed artworks in white boxes, for example. Um, You know, my personal opinions aside, uh, I think that that could be useful for really like observing one thing at a time. So I like minimalism as an aesthetic because it does allow you to say, okay, here is the object and in isolation, it makes me feel this. and it looks this way, and it and it creates this vibe. Um, the maximalist in me will say, you know, that I personally enjoy having lots of energy around me and lots of objects that evoke different thoughts, ideas, uh, philosophical backroads, um, and that's what I think Luna Loja has a little bit of. But also, I want to pick items that can be, when put in isolation, can be enough. To create an experience around, <laughs> but yeah, Elon Musk. Hey, hey, buddy. You know, if you're interested in some something beautiful and you want to, you know, populate your house with some awesome pieces, come on over to Luna Loja. If you're looking for <laughs> pure utility, um, you know, I can throw you some other way, definitely.
0: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so you were mentioning earlier, uh, sometimes people seeing art as a frivolous purchase, and. I want to ask a question around that, and this may be a multi-part question, but I think sometimes with art, another recent news story, I'm just trying to keep this um, relevant, uh, there was a recent news story about an artwork that sold for, it was in the like tens of thousands of dollars, I don't think it reached a hundred grand, but it was um, nothing. Like, the artist literally sold nothing. Um, that was the piece. And then now he's getting sued by another artist who said, I did that nothing idea four years ago. And on top of that, I, I've um, I've been to Art Basel and I saw one work that went for $30,000 that was literally a ladder with a pool toy on top of it. That was it. Like I, you know, and I think sometimes when people see that, like the person who is not in the art world or outside of the art world, they they, they have this idea of like, oh yeah, art is frivolous. It's just, you know... A way for rich people to money launder, or, or like you know, you'll hear like a millionaire say, "I bought this as an investment because I'm going to flip it later on." I think Jay Z actually has a line about it in the story of OJ, where he takes buys a piece of artwork, gives the he's going to give the money to his children. Um, so there is that perception that like art and good design is for the rich only, or it's this frivolous like luxury thing, uh, and it can be intimidating. What why do you think that is? And what about the person who, you know, they may have the best intentions, like, hey, I really wish I could afford uh, to buy this lamp from this local artist, but I don't have like $100, $200 right now, but I really like the aesthetic. I'm going to go buy the version from Ikea that's mass produced. That's only $20. Or, you know, I noticed there's an Eames chair on your site. Eames is amazing, but, you know, some people don't got... $2,000, but they want the look and they'll go buy the Ikea version. Uh, so what are your thoughts on all of that?
1: Well, I mean, this is like, you know, this is art school like philosophy class and, and also material culture philosophy class, so like art for art's sake. I think conceptual art uh, and, the, and the contemporary art market has made it more visible um, that some people support some folks some art patrons enjoy supporting conceptual art uh and the whole point of conceptual art is that it's a concept right so you're buying a philosophy here like i mean there's a whole conversation about nfts which i think is kind of interesting because i mean you're buying art that that is a digital a digital version
0: i was gonna ask you about that that could be a whole separate podcast (laughs)
1: yeah exactly, but so some people are opposed to to that, for example, but that makes so much sense to me because you're literally buying it from the artists themselves so like art for our sake i think i think I think people need to get closer to what to what art really is like it isn't it isn't only a horse sliced up into pieces, you know what I mean, which is a wild piece of art uh that has it's like the explanation of the art is the art. That's what conceptual art is in many ways, right? Without the explanation, it makes no sense. Uh, and so what you're really is, you're, you're, you're paying a philosopher to think when you buy conceptual art, which I think is great. And I wish we paid lots of philosophers to think. I think it would be a cool world. Um, but, you know, the Eames chair, for example, designers, designers are artists who like to make things that work. Uh, just like a, like the craft world is the same. They're, they're artists and, and aesthetic people who, who make things that are used. Um, so I think there are multiple tiers of creators, and I think conceptual artists are people who like to make things that they think about a lot. <laughs> My personal opinion is that I think the world would be a great place if we encouraged different levels of thinking by, by economically stimulating them. Uh, because thinking is a worthy pursuit for any human culture, um, but you know, would you know? I'm also intimidated by the cost of of a banana taped to the wall. Uh,
0: oh yeah, <laughs> that was another one. That was also at Art Basel, and I think somebody ate the banana, and then they and then they tried to say that oh well, me eating the banana was art, and I'm just like, well, how do you figure out the sale of that? Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, to each their own, you know, that there's time-based
1: art, there's performance art, there's all this, there's all this expression. And I think that if someone's paying you to express something, then, you know, you know, bless, God bless, honestly, you know, I'm not even a religious person, just keep it up. Right. But like, you know, I don't think that people who are looking at (laughs) from the outside in looking and saying, you know, this person taped the banana on the wall, and then someone bought it, and then that person ate it and said that they were making art. Like the person who's looking at that and being offended, I honestly think like maybe there is, you know, whenever anyone is offended, there's a a trigger that's happening and it's happening because you have something that you need to to think about. (laughs) And so if your thought is why would anyone buy money? There's a lot of money trauma in this world. Uh, Capitalism has made it really difficult to feel good about money. And we go back to the energy thing. And I think artists... Who have a hard time selling their art need to explore their money trauma and i think people who look at people who are eating bananas that they just bought for millions of dollars i understand the irritation but there also needs to be a like okay why am i irritated by this kind of thing
0: <laughs> you know what i mean do you think there's a happy medium and by that i mean you look at somebody like Adidas rams Uh, Who has his, I don't know if it was Ten Commandments or Ten Principles. Maybe I'm getting a little too biblical here with Ten Commandments. But he has Ten Principles of Good Design. And he designed stuff for Braun. Mass, you know, mass market company. Like, I look at it, 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 it's amazing design at scale. Um, You know, fast forward to now, you have uh, artists, you know, either they're clothing designers or different types of designers where they're doing, like, special collaborations or collections with um, big box retail stores. You know, Virgil Abloh um, and a number of other artists, too, just Virgil Abloh's top of the mind for me right now, did a collection with Ikea. Um, you had, um, you know, high-design houses working with Uniqlo and uh, even Target in, like, the clothing space. Do you think that that's going to be more prevalent? Do you think that that might be, like, the happy medium or the hybrid where somebody's got... Um, you know, forgive me for this saying, uh, I'll try to keep it as accurate as possible. Eames level taste, but an Ikea budget. Uh, you know, where, where, like, do you think that's going to be maybe the happy medium or, like, the future? We're going to see more stuff like that, maybe?
1: Well, the thing is, like, I mean, if you look at the history of, like, artistry and patronage, I mean, back in the day, if you were an artist, you, you were, if you were any good, let's say, or a designer or, or an engineer, even, let's call it, like, any t- type of polymath with an artistic bent would be, Hosted um, and basically put up by the the wealthy folks in your town, um, so you would have a patron that would support your your process, your your development, and that that model is not no longer effective. or It's no longer happening, right? And so, if you're an artist, if you if you enjoy thinking and making things and thinking about how those things affect people, I think it's totally fair to go to whoever is can be your most effective patron. Um, and so if you're interested in, in reaching a broad market and you go for a company that has a broad market, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize anyone for that. Um, I do think we're also in, a, in an industrial, where, I mean, we're basically almost like in a post-industrial time. So we, we expect to be able to, to have access to products that mo- <laughs> through most human history, most people have not had access to. Uh, and in, 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 in this in this world that we live in, aesthetically minded people are going to want to have access to objects that have no reason to be expensive. Like, you know, an Eames chair is a beautiful piece of work. It's, it's a it's it was designed and was thought about deeply by a person who is by a couple who are none of whom are alive anymore. So these folks right, their products are being now made by a company that continues to make their chairs. And that's great, but there are also other companies that make their chairs. Uh, and so it's it's a matter of like, okay, if you really want an Eames chair, you now have the choice to go for the company that's following uh, the rules of the original maker to a T, and if that's really important to you, I completely understand, and that's where you should buy your Eames chair. Uh, if it's If you're looking at it because it looks great and it's comfortable to sit in and you might not be as concerned with the, like, quality of, um let's say, like, the specific type of leather that it's made out of or the specific type of plywood that is shaped with uh, and you want the aesthetic, then you have options now as a consumer. And I think that that's, as a customer, you know, that's the result of a globalized society. Uh, you know, you don't have to go to the workshop of the artist anymore. If you want to, you should. If you can, if you can afford it, you definitely should. Um, but, you know, Ikea, I, I'm Swedish, right? I'm half Swedish. Um, I'm, I actually, you know, really understand this, that, you know, there's, there's a, a, a drive to provide the people with pretty things. That's like basically what Ikea is trying to do. But they're borrowing their aesthetic from multiple mid-century modern designers.
0: So many different sources.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, obviously there's nothing wrong in doing that, but they're not lying about the quality of, of their, of their products.
0: No, they're very upfront about that, which I kind of appreciate. Like, they're like, Hey, listen, like, um, this is at scale. When you do something at scale, you could, you have to be repeatable and we got to make a profit and we got to make it affordable to you. Something's going to give in this equation.
1: Right. You're going to put the thing together yourself. <laughs> but so this is the thing, you know, and I and I think that like, you know, we also have a concern about like, OK, well, are we stepping on anyone's toes? You know, when we offer the Eames chair, for example, and I think we just need to be honest that like not everyone is concerned with the same things, you know, uh, and 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 so we're trying to say, OK, well, if you want an Eames chair, and you care about directly influencing uh, the you know, trajectory of artists. Living artists, which is what I care about, then you can get your Eames chairs. For, Eames chairs, uh, your Eames chair with Lunolosia. If you're interested in, you know, supporting the Eames Foundation, then that's also a road you can go. Uh, and the chair is going to be more expensive because that's the value that you're paying for. Um, so that's that's also part of the whole like your money is your energy. You are dedicating and out al- and allocating. <laughs> your energy out into the world to support different causes and so when it comes to buying the banana on the wall (laughs) uh you're supporting something when you buy that banana and if you really like the artist that you're buying that piece from i think i think that's awesome especially if you're buying it straight from the artist uh if you are buying a, a you know a couple million dollar piece of art from another collector uh as an artist i think that's You know, I would be pissed about that, but (laughs) that's the world that we live in. And what you're paying for is the value that you see in it. That's what makes art so problematic is that it's in the eye of the beholder. And the value of a piece is also, I mean, it's established by your, by your culture, but it, by virtue of you buying it, you are setting the value that you, you
0: think it is worth,
1: (laughs) you know what I mean? It's all, I think it's so complicated, but it's also so like basic and straightforward
0: so to ask a basic and straightforward yet complicated question uh what do you think is the future of your industry because you were talking about nfts and now there's like the idea of owning limited like digital art or having a digital space with digital furniture um the middle met the middle people i guess these uh, middle people kind of gone by the wayside you know, we've got more platforms than ever to tell a story. The idea of storytelling, interweaving with the business, doing things at scale or not doing them at scale, reaching the customer directly, B2B, B2C, all this. What do you think the future, um, you know, the future of your industry is, is going to look like? Like, where, where do you think uh, it's headed?
1: Well, I mean, I think that all all, should you say all retail business, because people are always going to, purchase, as long as there is a need for tangible objects, let's put it that way, because if we enter some virtual world uh, in the future to be futurist, maybe we won't need tangible objects anymore. But as long as there is a need for tangible objects, there is a need for places for people to go to learn more about what they need, what they want, uh, and what they like. Uh, and so the you know, if you look at industry studies right now, the furniture market, online is looking incredibly strong and robust um and honestly you know even most brick and mortar stores are recognizing that folks are coming in to touch their things and then go buy them online it's not just because uh it's it's like convenient or whatever it's also the fact that people were moving towards a carless society getting stuff delivered is easy um and honestly that tangible connection to an object when you can return it if it doesn't fit your needs that's that's where the industry is moving um, in 2018 i've read that furniture and home furniture sales uh, accounted for about 13% of all e-commerce sales so people are purchasing their interior you know their basically their stuff online we know this <laughs> uh, i think that you know using augmented reality more effectively um, again creating experiences these are these are trends that are obvious to us now that like will be completely fundamental in the future kind of like being able to pay what your credit card is now uh, I mean you know only 20 years ago buying something online wasn't even an option so like things are moving fast uh, but I think when it comes to NFTs and digital products that was also something that I was thinking of encouraging artists to use luna Loja to sell is like recurring uh virtual income from from you know virtual products it's something that everyone should be exploring because it's a great business model as well to have reproducible virtual products like obviously videos and uh you know nfts and sticker packs and and uh collateral that people need for their web presences i think that's what they should be teaching in art schools like digitize your piece of art and sell it
0: (laughs) so speaking of that um what's the future look like for lunalogia you were talking about people wanting to physically you know experience things is there going to be a retail like a like an actual um brick and mortar retail or pop-up shop in the future for lunalogia is there going to be like a whole separate nft division of lunalogia what does the future uh look like
1: well, we're actually, we have a 10-year plan right now because we've just, I mean, we're so new. We're, we're not thinking hundreds of years in the future yet. Um, but essentially, you know, I don't foresee us creating a shop, like an actual store. Um, there are some interesting models that, um, that utilize showrooms and unrentable kind of like event spaces as a way to have people have tangible interactions with the products that we offer. Uh, and I think that is a much more effective way to have folks introduced to, you know, the physicality of our of our collection. Um, so as as a, a former, you know, event planner, nonprofit planner, I think that having, for example, parties um, that are just like themed Luna Loja uh, releases of our collection, where people are just like literally in the spaces curated by Luna Loja that showcase what we offer uh, on, a, on an exclusive basis in terms of like it happening maybe a couple times a year, uh, that would be a model that we would explore as, as a retail, kind of like on, in the real world IRL uh, selling interaction. Um, because storefronts to me, they're, they're, always, they're probably always gonna exist. Um, their overhead to me is completely unnecessary. Um, people are moving away from that model and again, if, if what you need is to touch, uh, touch a surface to know if it's right for you, then I think it would be way funner to do that with like a live band playing and some of your closest girlfriends at a, at a cocktail party. Uh, and that's something that like a successful business should be able to put the furniture out to do uh, in order to promote their products. And that's more along the lines of what we're thinking, um, yeah.
0: You heard it here first, folks, cocktail party retail is going to yes. be the <laughs> future
1: Right? I mean, have you gone to museums or stores where you're not allowed to touch things and you're like, what am I even doing here? Like, it feels
0: very sterile. It's just like, don't touch that. And then they like follow you. And you're like, this is just creepy. <laughs> it's like, I don't feel right here.
1: Yeah. So that's um, kind of like, I want everything to be an experience. And I, I, I will give you a million, you know, I'll owe you a million bucks if I... If you ever find me behind a counter, like just being bored because I just think that that's a sad place to be when everyone wants the same thing. If you want you you want a really, really soft couch or a poof or some light that makes you feel sexy, like then you should be in an environment where you're allowed to interact with those things in a realistic way. Uh, and I think that's a better way to sell things, too.
0: Don't pay me a million for that. Just um, trademark cocktail party retail if it hasn't been already and I just want to cut. However, if you make money off that, just give me a little bit of the cut and I'll be happy. Um, what what would be some pieces of advice you would have given yourself in, you know, before starting this business or just any young creative, young entrepreneur out there just from, you know, I think anybody starting some kind of project, some kind of business, it's a learning process and you learn a lot. Um, what would be some pieces of advice you would give to anybody listening to this, uh, as far as what you've learned?
1: Um, I would say if you are, if you have an idea or you're an entrepreneurial person, you're constantly having ideas, create a network of people around you, um, who you can ask questions of, um, mentors, people who are doing what you're doing, be brave and just reach out and ask if you can just, you know, if you could just, buy them a coffee and have a a conversation I find that you know some folks are shy some folks are introverts um, but if you're able to just literally like have another person feel like they are giving you something again this back to this energetic sense um that I, I think that most people want to share most people want to be generous and and in small business communities especially people are looking out for each other. And I, I think that you give someone something when you ask for their advice and you thank them and you acknowledge how important that piece of advice was for you down the line uh, and creating connections to other business people and mentors it is, is something that we aren't taught to do and that I think everyone should really seriously explore because, um, you know, if you're a business person, you're you're interacting with people. You're doing something with people. Uh, and so getting over, uh, you know, the intimidation that you might feel around talking to other people or asking them um, how, w- like what they're willing to share with you um, is, is, is an asset to like your business and your life, I think, honestly, because most people want to share. So that's what I would say. <laughs>
0: Well, I think this is a good place to end it on. So with that, since we're at the end, what I always like to do is give the guest a platform to say, promote, give last piece of advice, whatever you want to say, floor is yours. So go for it.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Um, I did not expect this to go into like a philosophical what is art conversation, but I really absolutely love Thinking about the contribution of artists um, throughout time, and, and as we interact with like our everyday life, and I think that if if you're a listener and you and you thought this was fun and you and you want to explore this some more, you know, Luna Loja, the way that we describe our products, I think it's it's I've written all the descriptions, um, and I personally think it's really fun to think about how how the designers and the folks who have created these objects what their philosophies are and if that if you if you think that's fun then you might enjoy just the descriptions of our products um and again me getting to talk about uh, my business and what we do has has made it a really fun uh afternoon for me so i really appreciate being able to be here and we hope to see you over at the site and you can literally email me straight from lunaloja.com if you wanted to
0: talk about it some more (laughs) well with that tracy thank you uh for coming on and just being willing to have this conversation and to anybody out there that's listening thank you for listening and we'll see you next time
1: thanks jason have a good one
0: and that's it for this episode of the creative capital show thanks for listening and a special thanks goes to this episode's guest tracy johnson Leboy. the creative capital show is hosted recorded edited mixed and produced by me jason sylvia you can listen to the creative capital show over at our website creativecapitalshow.com we're also available on anchor fm itunes spotify google podcasts and all other major podcast hosting platforms if you like the show please subscribe helps the show out a lot and be sure to follow the show on instagram twitter tiktok linkedin and youtube i hope you enjoyed the show And until next time, keep on creating.